How are we today? We're fine, we're alive and well. That's good. Just uh, to satisfy a question in my mind, when it comes to Bible versions, how many of you usually use the NIV, the New International Version? Okay. How many of you use the ESV, the English Standard Version? How many of you use some other version? How many of you use a lot? Okay, that's good. Okay. Um, I have to put my hand up and say I prefer the NIV. Uh, it took me a long time to get out of the RSV. And uh, then the NIV came along, I think, in 1970 or some, something. And I thought, hallelujah, this is marvellous. Anyway, I've established that. Um, aren't you glad that you don't have a TV screen on top of your head and great big loudspeakers coming out of the side. In other words, everyone can see what you're thinking and everyone can hear what you're thinking. Wouldn't that, that be dreadful? When we go into our room and close the door, it's because we like the safety and security of being behind closed doors. And Jesus tells us to do, do that. When we are talking with God, he tells us to go into our room and close the door. But of course, we're not shutting God outside. God's in the room with us. But does he need to be? God doesn't need to be in the room with us because God knows absolutely everything about us. Is that good news or bad news? It's both, isn't it? Because God knows the very worst thing about us, things that perhaps we won't even face up to ourselves because we're too ashamed or we feel too, too guilty, but God knows them already. And so he turns his back on us and walks away. Is that right? Is that biblical theology? God embraces us knowing the very worst about us. He knows the very worst things that we have done and thought and said, and he also knows the very worst things that have been done to us and said to us and thought about us. So whether we've been a perpetrator, someone who's done all these terrible things, or whether we've been a victim on the receiving end of somebody, <coughs> somebody else's nastiness, God knows all about it. It's a, an old, old story. And sometimes it's attributed to Arthur Conan Doyle, sometimes Mark Twain, sometimes Edgar Allan Poe, but it's probably a lot older than any of them. And the story goes that either just for a laugh or to really test the integrity of leading men in British society in those days, or even leading men who were pillars of the church, 
these men, one of these men, whoever it was, sent anonymously telegrams to, sometimes the story says five, sometimes the story says 12 men. And it was a very brief message. It said this, flee at once, all is discovered. And some of those men, or in some of the stories, all of those men, left town, some of them left the country, and at least one was never seen again. Now, I wonder how we would react if suddenly through... Well, they don't send telegrams now, do they? But you received an email, or whatever, a tweet, and it was, or even a letter, a good old-fashioned snail mail letter. It wasn't signed, you didn't know who it was from. And it said, flee at once, all is discovered. Would you think that there's nothing to discover? Or would you think, oh my goodness, they know that very worst thing about me. Supposing on the other hand, you received an equally anonymous message, a telegram or email or whatever, and it sim simply said, congratulations, well done. Would you think they've actually sent that to the wrong person? <laughs> or would you say at least one person has recognized what I've been doing recently? See, whether we're good or bad, whether we own up to every bad thing or every good thing that we do say or think, God knows absolutely everything about us. Instead of living behind closed doors, because God knows us through and through, we can live, as someone has said, with the roof off. We like the coziness, the protection, the... Uh, the security, the even, even the secrecy of, of a roof on. But as Christians, it's God's purpose for us to live with the roof off, living openly before him. Now, I usually do do this. I go straight into a talk without introducing it. Uh, we're in our ser series, uh, What Does It Mean to Be Human? And uh, last week, Steve introduced the whole idea of being designed, and today, we're looking at the whole idea of being known. Being known. There's... Um, how many of you uh, use uh, um, Nicky Gumbel's Bible in one year r reading notes? Oh, good. So most of you won't have heard this story before then. Okay. Um, Nicky Gumbel is a, a converted Jew. Uh, he's a lawyer or was a law practicing barrister, I think, and he now leads um, Holy, not Holy Trinity Brompton, yes, it is Holy Trinity Brompton in the west of London. And uh, he had a conversation with Alex Buchanan once. And Alex Buchanan said to him, God loves you unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and continually. And then he asked him this question, do you believe that God approves of you? We, we just heard earlier, didn't we, how God spoke those words of approval over Jesus after his baptism. Do you believe that God approves of you? And N Nicky re replied in this way, 
Actually, I really struggle with that because I know things about myself that no one else knows and I find it difficult to believe that God approves of me. I wonder how many of us could witness with that statement. And Alex Buchanan said to this, we all struggle with that, but God wants you to know that he approves of you. He wants you to know that he loves you, and it's those three words again, unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and continually. Isn't that a wonderful truth about God? The God who knows absolutely everything there is to know about us, and he loves us and approves of us. He acts kindly towards us. He's affectionate. He provides us with everything we need in spite of knowing the very worst there is to know about us. We are known to God. But more than that, we are known by God. When I was a school teacher, I used to teach 600 different children every week. And as long as they sat in the same seat every, every lesson, I knew all their names. Uh, if they moved, I hadn't got a clue who they were. Um, there were some, particularly in the tutor group, that I started, I think, in year eight and took right up to the time they left school. I knew some of them very well. I knew the good ones. And, of course, there were one or two rascals who I did know a lot about. But God knows us in a totally different way to a list of names. When I was a teenager, I was quite... Well, I think it was the current thing in those days, you know, about 1835... Um, Bernard Russell and Aldous Huxley and the existential philosophers. When you're 16, you think the world's going to end tomorrow, especially in the Cold War and stuff like that. Um, and Bertrand Russell, I think it was, said, and this is just my vague memory, I couldn't find it on Wikipedia, so that's a failure, isn't it? Um, he regarded us, all mankind, as helpless pawns in an impersonal universe. In other words, when we die, that's the end of it. There's no um, spirit being who cares about us. We're just accidents. We've uh, evolved, etc., etc., all the usual godless stuff. And sometimes when we experience the bad things that happen to us in life, we're tempted to think that, that we are helpless pawns in an impersonal universe. But we know from what Steve said yesterday, uh, la last Sunday, we know from, from our own reading of the Bible over, for many of us, many years, that God has deliberately, intentionally, and purposefully created each one of us. And having created us, he is with us through the rest of our life into eternity. And he knows us intimately. I know my wife's back better than I know my own. 
because unless you rig up a number of different mir mirrors, it's very difficult to see your back. But God knows my back. He watches my back. God cares intimately about each one of us. God knows more about me than I know about him. And God knows more about me than I know about myself. And if he knows all that, then he is to be trusted. He is to be the object of our commitment. He is the one who invites us into relationship with him because he knows absolutely everything there is to know about us. I think it was a couple of summers ago, Moore and I went to Latvia, which is one of the three Baltic states um, on the other side of the Baltic Sea to Finland. And uh, up until 25 years ago, Latvia was a Soviet Socialist Republic. And um, in 1991, they gained their freedom when the Soviet Union collapsed f following the fall of the Berlin Wall. And uh, w one day we decided to go to the old KGB building, the Russian secret police. They've kept it exactly as it was. They've resisted the temptation to turn it into a hotel. Uh, it's a massive, great big uh, building on the corner of a cr crossroads. Looks a bit like Selfridges or, you know, it's huge. It's, a it's absolutely huge. And it's just floor after floor of rooms that have been neglected for 25 years. Of course, when the KGB left, they stripped it all out, so it's absolutely bare, except for the gunshots, uh, of the, the bullet holes in the wall where they um, finished you off. That's the last room you go through when you leave the building. But by the entrance on the corner, there is a letterbox, and there are pink forms that you can have. I guess you take them away with you. Um, and if you want to inform on someone, you just write down the details and pop it in the letterbox, and it's an anonymous piece of information. No one knows who's put it there, but of course, there's going to be a knock on the door or a car's going to stop by you in the road and you're going to be arrested and interrogated. Um, you're going to spend the night in the dungeons on the ground floor, um, packed in tight, central heating turned up so high you have to take all your clothes off, you're not allowed to go to sleep, the light's on all the time, there's guards looking through a special peephole and making a lot of noise if they see you falling asleep, and then you're dragged up to the top floor to be interrogated. Wouldn't it be dreadful if God was like that? And sometimes it's easy to think that, that God is a bit like the KGB or the Stasi or some, some other Soviet secret police force. But we know from Scripture, of course, that God is absolutely love. He's totally motivated by love. And we sang earlier that all my sins and my sorrows... Uh, 
God absorbed them. He took them, Jesus took them into his, onto his own body, into his own self. And Scripture t tells us that even beyond being the sin bearer, Jesus became sin for us. And when God did that, he knew what he was doing. He was very deliberate. And when he took each one of us on as we responded to his invitation, uh, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was taking on. He knew that we were going to be imperfect. He knew that we were going to make mistakes. He knew that we were going to have thoughts that we were ashamed of. And he knew that people were going to do stuff to us that we didn't like. And somehow in the great economy of God's love, he, use, he uses all this to shape us into the people that he wants us to be. Now, the things that God knows about us. I made a, a note. God knows our thoughts. We'll read Psalm 139 if I remember. Um, God know, knows our thoughts. He knows what our dreams are. I don't mean the dreams that, that we have at night. I mean the things that we live for, the things that we are dreaming about, the things that we want to happen, the things that we... By the end of our lives, we, we want to have achieved. He knows what our fantasies are. Sometimes we do get carried away. He knows what our desires are. And he loves to satisfy the desires of our hearts. He knows what our lusts and appetites are. He knows what our ambitions are. The things we're going for. He knows what our intentions and our attitudes and our motives are. God knows all these things about us. He understands our hearts better than we do. I don't know if you've ever beaten your breast. Have you? Do you, do you sometimes feel, oh, gracious me, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? You might not do it literally, but... You sometimes say, oh my goodness, I've got to start all over again. And God says, yeah, I know. And when the prodigal son comes back, he finds a prodigal father, a father who overflows with love and affection and acceptance. And if we come back to God every time we mess up, that's the God that we will encounter. God also knows our pain. He knows our afflictions. He knows our failures. He knows the abuse that we've suffered. He knows our despair, our disappointments. He knows our tragedies. And he knows our rejection. Those are just a few things that God knows about us. Scripture tells us, it's in Hebrews 4, that Nothing is hidden from God's sight, but everything is laid bare before him to whom we have to give an account. And it's going to be an account, I believe, not only 
for why we did some of the stupid stuff we did, but actually how did we handle the opportunities, the invitations, the openings that God gave us as well. We often think of giving an account as being a very negative thing, but I believe it's a very, it can be a very positive thing as well. How did we rise up to the different challenges that God presented us with? When Steve was uh, talking about us being designed last week, one of the th things that struck me is I, I, it, had I, it had never occurred to me before that with everything else except man and woman, God simply spoke creation into being. He spoke, let there be, be light, let there be this, let there be that. And it just happened. But with us, God expresses his intention, let us make man in our image, male and fe female, and then he actually rolls his sleeves up and he gets hands on because he takes of the dust of the earth and he fashions this dust into what obviously looks like you and me, and then he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. He gets stuck in. He gets his hands on us. That's, have you ever had a massage? One of the most terrifying, embarrassing experiences of my life. Uh, one of our sons and daughters, the ones who've escaped to Finland, um, decided to treat Maureen and me to a, I'm not sure if it was a week weekend or two days in, in a hotel in Brighton, and part of the package was a, So there's me lying on this couch and this bloke with his oily hands is, you know, every, oh, every bit, really ha hands on. I was, I was totally glad when that was over. Now, God has that same intimate knowledge of us. And if we go to Psalm 139, you say, oh, that's old hat, I can, I can repeat that off by heart but let's look at Psalm 139 and see just how intimately God knows us how intimately God is aware of you and me not 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 just our bodies when Samuel is looking for a replacement for King Saul there's the mistaken impression that Samuel is looking for a good-looking bloke to be king. And it soon becomes clear that God is not impressed by the outward appearance, but God always goes for the heart. And it's God's own heart toward us that encourages us to open up our own hearts to him because he is so loving and accepting. Let, let's have a look at Psalm 139. 
This is God with his hands on us. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You had experiences like that? Woken up in the middle of the night and you can't get to sleep again and all these thoughts are going through your mind and because God is searching you. God is challenging you. He's perhaps ch challenging thoughts you've had, attitudes you've got, decisions you have made or are about to make, um, how your relationship is with him. He, he searches you. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You, you know when I sit and you know when I rise. That's astonishing, isn't it? You think, there's seven billion of us. Surely you've got more important thi things to worry about than when I get up and go into the kitchen and make a cup of tea. But no, God knows when I sit and when, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. Well, I'm still thinking about what I'm going to say. God knows already what I'm going to say. Isn't that astonishing? Now, we have to make sure, of course, we only say what God wants us to say because we can spout a whole lot of rubbish, can't we? You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. There's a story, some of you will have heard it. There was a man who wanted to run away from God. It wasn't, um, wasn't Jonah. It was someone much more re recent. They wanted to run away from God. They wanted to get God out of their lives. They uh, decided to go, go to the port, get on a boat and, and just sa sail away. Leave God behind. And uh, it wasn't long before they realized that the name of the boat was Wings of the Dawn. And that really, clearly the bloke knew his Bible, and that really challenged him, and it brought him back to God. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. It's like living up in the Arctic Circle all the time, where in the su summer, when the sun never sets, or even if it does set, God knows us in the darkness and God knows us in the light. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. 
How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they'd outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. And then down to verse 23. This is an astonishing way to end this psalm because he knows what being searched by God is like. That's where the psalm started. You have searched me. He knows what God's going to do. He knows God's methods. He knows how God comes and interacts with us. But he invites God again at the end of the psalm to search him again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So we are known to God. You could say he has every reason to reject us. He has every reason to wipe us off the face of the earth because he knows the very worst about us. But because of who he is, because God is the God that we read about in the Bible, he welcomes us. He accepts us. He deals with the issues. In Scripture, there's this whole idea of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a brand new creation. We're born again. We're made new. Things happen. We have new desires. We still get it wrong sometimes, but we have new desires. We set new priorities. God is passionate about us being more and more accurately his image bearers. And his invitation to us find the right page his invitation to us is to know and experience that love and grace that kindness and affection from the God who loves us as a father lo loves his child he wants us to know that for ourselves and this morning is a, an excellent opportunity. If you've never entered into that relationship with God as a child with a father, then that invitation comes today. That God invites you to become part of his family. It's a, an invitation too to live... I have to be careful what I say because God isn't standing there like a, a secret policeman. But it's a call to live disciplined lives so surrendered to the Spirit that His fruit of self-control grows in its impact in our lives. Doing stuff not so much because we have to but because there's that growing desire in us to do it because we want to, to live in particular ways.
to deal with our failures quickly and thoroughly. To simply tell God what he knows about us already. It's an invitation to get more in touch with ourselves so that we know our heart more. So that we are aware of our weaknesses but we're more aware of our strengths as well. So that we can avoid doing certain things. We can avoid getting ourselves into that corner where we think, oh, I've done it again. Where we take evasive action. It's knowing who we really are when all the makeup's off, all the camouflage is off, to know my own heart as God knows it. And to keep inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and to purify that heart and to uh, make that heart more in line with God's own heart. And it's a call too to help one another to be so confident in other people's love for us that we can be our true selves. We don't have to put on a performance. We can make ourselves vulnerable to other people's input into our lives because we know they love us. And conversely, of course, knowing that I can speak the truth in love to others, not from any moral high ground or sense of superiority or any patronizing attempt to put other people right, but out of genuine love and a solid understanding that I'm no better than they are. Number of different calls there. It's a call to, to know God's love more and more. It's a call to live disciplined lives. It's a call to know myself better. And it's a call to help one another as we develop as a community where there's that mutuality, where we're feeding one another with the truth, where we're speaking into one another's lives, where we are saying to one another what God wants us to say. Because we're sometimes very good at dishing it out. But we're not always very good at receiving it. And we need to hear as well as to speak. We need to hear what God has for us through one another. We need to know that deep security that comes from being known by God. Being known. But more importantly, being known by God equates to being loved by God, chosen by God, accepted by God, and provisioned by God. Because that's the context that God's knowledge of us comes in. If you're a Christian today, then you are known thoroughly by God. If you're not, God wants you to surrender your life to him. Shall we pray?